Hi, I'm Ryan McClure. And I'm Justin Zyduck. And welcome to Indefensible Inc., the podcast where we take a look at some allegedly terrible comics and comics-related media. Today, we'll be discussing Marvel's 10-issue Secret Empire event from 2017, written by Nick Spencer with art by Rod Rice, Daniel Acuna, Steve McNiven, Andrea Sorrentino, and Travis Lanham. A little disclaimer about today's episode. We generally avoid directly discussing politics on this podcast, uh, but this series was released early into the Trump administration, and it's hard to really discuss the content and themes of the series and how people reacted to it without getting into the political context at the time. So while the whole episode isn't going to be focused on politics and drawing comparisons, uh, it will come up at certain points just as a heads up. Mm -hmm. And another sort of disclaimer, this series was heavily criticized at the time, but when we sat down to actually read it, uh, it was kind of lacking in the types of goofiness or over-the-top elements that are usually fun to pick apart. So we're not going into as much detail as we usually do, uh, which may be a relief for some of you. <laughs> uh, we're just going to do broad summaries and kind of do more of a big picture analysis of it. Mm -hmm. Also because most of the uh, dialogue was written in sort of a, and Nick Spencer is sort of a quippy guy and he writes in that sort of like quippy MCU style that the movies do. Um, the characters often sort of beat us to the jokes that we would have made. Because I remember like reading through it and going like, oh, you know what I would say about this? And then like Ant-Man says it. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and as uh, I'll mention, I'll cover briefly when we talk about the context, the writer Nick Spencer actually received death threats just based on the premise leading up to this story. So even more than usual, we're, we're going to focus on kind of seeing whether this story was given a fair shake and we're going to try to evaluate it removed from some of the more outrageous reactions to the idea behind it. So to give you some background about Secret Empire, in 2016, a miniseries called Avengers Standoff, written by Nick Spencer, was released. Part of it focused on a mystical being called Kobik, who was a physical manifestation of the Cosmic Cube, or the Tesseract, if you're most familiar with the MCU who transformed the then 90-year-old elderly Captain America into his youthful self. However, infamously, at the end of the storyline, it was, it was revealed that this was all a plot by the Red Skull, and he, had, uh, he and Hydra had used the Cosmic Cube to rework reality and history so that Captain America had secretly been a Hydra agent for his entire career. So this was the lead-up to Secret Empire, which was set to be Marvel's next big lion-wide crossover event. It was comparable to other storylines like Age of Apocalypse, in which Charles Xavier is killed by a time traveler before he can found the X-Men, which leads to Apocalypse taking over the uh, most of the world and completely altering the Marvel Universe. So uh, on the one hand, it was just kind of another alternate reality crossover. You might be wondering, what's the big deal? But the, the reactions to the moment at the end of that Avengers miniseries where Cap revealed he was secretly Hydra and says Hail Hydra were intense, to say the least. Uh, in short, the entire internet began freaking out. There were kind of two general camps in terms of reactions. 
first camp were people who objected to what they saw as a fundamental change to a beloved and iconic character. Um, I think some of the death threats were from people in that camp. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the second camp were people who accused the creators of being tone deaf to the political context at the time. So try to think back to the the olden days of 2016, uh, April 2016. This was during the Clinton and Trump campaign. And even though there was still a lot of doubt then regarding whether Trump even had a chance, liberals and progressives were increasingly concerned that a man who had displayed authoritarian or fascist tendencies like demonizing immigrants and people of color and women in the press Uh, had a chance of becoming America's next leader. So as you can imagine, fans who were on the liberal and progressive side of the spectrum weren't happy about somebody who was supposed to represent the ideals of America in Captain America, apparently having been a comic book fascist for his entire life. So by about a year later, when Secret Empire was released a few months into the Trump administration, although there were some favorable reviews, especially for the early issues, and they sold well. At best, there was generally a lack of enthusiasm for the story among fans, and at worst, there was a sense that the story was too politically bleak at a time when many of the fears people had about the Trump administration were seemingly being confirmed. It should also be noted that Marvel maintained that the storyline was planned as far back as 2014, and given the fact that plot lines are often laid out years in advance in the company's yearly story retreats, there's some credence to this story potentially. Once the story was released on the critical front, while there were some who found the first few issues in particular compelling, there there were several critics who found the story unsatisfying, particularly the ending. Joe Glass at Bleeding Cool titled his review of Secret Empire 10, uh, The Destination Was Not Worth the Journey. Andy Kubai at Screen Rant wrote, Marvel's Secret Empire ruffled a lot of Captain America fans' feathers. Do the tepid ending and extra issues indicate changes to please readers? So as usual today, we'll be trying to figure out how does this story hold up? Uh, in this case, how does it hold up a little removed from the high, highly charged political context of the time? And we're also going to touch on the reactions themselves and consider how the themes of the story do or don't seem to address the politics of the day. So we're splitting this uh, this series up into kind of uh, e- roughly equal thirds. Um, the first bit that we're going to talk about is the Zero issue, the free comic book day issue, and the first three issues of the series proper. So the story kicks off in a number zero issue in which the evil Captain America, the high, secretly Hydra Captain America, unleashes his master plan. He seemingly engineered simultaneous attacks on the Earth by the alien Shatari, on New York City by a supervillain army, and on Sokovia by Hydra, so that sort of all of Earth's heroes are split up and everybody is panicking. In the chaos, a state of emergency is declared, and Captain America, as head of S.H.I.E.L.D., is handed full control of pretty much all of the U.S. defense network. Uh, In that moment, he declares his allegiance to Hydra, 
erects a planetary defense shield to, ca- to trap Captain Marvel and the cosmic heroes in space so that they can't interfere, and has Baron Zemo and Blackout plunge Manhattan into the Dark Force dimension with all of its nasty monsters and demons. Then, in a free comic book day issue, uh, Earth's available superheroes try to keep Hydra from completely taking over, uh, but then Captain America shows up. He gives the heroes this whole speech about how Hydra's going to make the world better through you know, strength and the implicit fascism, and hoists Thor's hammer, Mjolnir, suggesting that, or suggesting at least, that he is worthy. Um, by issue one, um, there seems to be sort of an implicit time skip, though it's not really laid out formally. Um, but like by this, by issue one, Hydra has apparently fully taken over the country. Schools are already like indoctrinating children with Hydra propaganda about how the uh, Axis powers actually won World War II, but the Allies got a cosmic cube and changed reality. Uh, the American people seem to be sort of embracing all of the short-term good things that Hydra is doing for the country, like lowering crime and improving the economy. Um, nobody seems to mind that New York City has been plunged into like a hellish universe of demons and monsters, but maybe that's normal for what the rest of the country thinks about New York City. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's an underground resistance, however, based in Las Vegas, uh, including Black Widow, Hawkeye, Ant-Man, Teen Heroes, The Champions, and an artificial intelligence hologram of Tony Stark. Captain America sentences his former friend Rick Jones to death by firing squad for crimes against Hydra, but not before Rick sends a flash drive uh, revealing the truth that Captain America is the way that he is right now because of tampering from the Cosmic Cube and that Hydra wants to gather up the scattered pieces of it to um, basically ensure their victory forever. The Resistance tries to recruit Sam Wilson, the former Falcon, the former Captain America, who says he doesn't want to get involved because he's too disgusted by how quickly the American people got behind Hydra. Meanwhile, in some other sort of realm, a man in army fatigues claiming to be Steve Rogers appears. So, I don't read many new comics these days. I've said that um, I haven't been a regular reader of anything that Marvel's done for going on 10 years now, and that's not necessarily like a critique like comics were better than when I was a kid. It's just like, I don't really respond in the same way. And that's like a, it's a, it's not you, it's me thing, you know, <laughs> but, uh, it's really overwhelming to step into like a big, you know, in the thick of the universe crossover and see how different everything is to like what I remember even just like 10 years ago. Um, so like, the, yeah, yeah. The MCU status quo have pretty much replaced all my familiar, like old pals and like what I, no, because, like, Tony Stark acts like movie Tony Stark now. Um, and he's a hologram, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure why... Oh, you know, I wasn't sure at first why he's a hologram, and I sort of looked it up, and I sort of got it. Um, Alpha Flight now apparently means space heroes and not Canadian government Avengers. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, it was very jarring, sort of like... I guess this is what, like, when people used to complain about how, like, X-Men was impenetrable if you're a new reader... I guess that's sort of what I yeah. felt like coming in here and being being like, I recognize everybody, but like you're all a little bit, you're all a little bit weird, and I'm not sure if that's like the right. universe. I'm not, I'm not I'm not not totally sure if that's like, this is what happens in this cosmic cube reality, or like this is just what's been going on in the previous three crossovers that I don't know about. Yeah, yeah, it kind of blunts the impact of like a major shift in the status quo if you're not really sure what the status <laughs> quo is normally which is where i'm pretty much at too 
um, mm-hmm. as only like a sporadic modern comics reader. Um, I did think it was almost kind of quaint now that this was when Marvel still cared about all the Netflix Marvel shows. So they're mm-hmm. really pushing the Defenders lineup. We get those exact heroes uh, in in New York. And they're still trying to make Inhumans a thing at this time, back before they got the X-Men, or before Disney got the Fox and X-Men properties. Yeah. So it's a real real time cra- capsule for that reason, too. Yeah, because like, people really did not take well to that Inhumans thing. Mm-hmm. The, the MCU has really been, like, you know, almost batting a thousand in many respects, where like, even stuff like Gardens of the Galaxy, were, which were huge question marks at the time. They sort of pull it off, but in humans was the one thing where like everybody like put their foot down and were like, "No, I am not gonna, I am not gonna have them just become the X Men." No, <laughs> you've already got some perfectly good mutants here. Why don't you play with those? <laughs> right. I'm not gonna go to I'm not gonna go to the toy store and buy you a whole new set of Inhumans, even if Black Bolt's costume is kind of cool. Um, Hydra is a little more explicitly fascist than I recall. So it was created in the '60s. Stories as sort of like a you know, implied like breakaway, you know, Nazi faction, basically just somebody for shield to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, but it traditionally has been light on a lot of the actual Nazi stuff, like explicit Nazi stuff in favor of being just sort of like a weird cult or like kind of a, like generic terrorists, like Cobra from GI Joe. Cause like, you know, a couple of, a couple of months ago when we reviewed uh, team America, like they were not like we're Nazis, it, mm-hmm. it was like we want to we want to use some whole bunch of army equipment to steal this really cool motorcycle. <laughs> for, you know, there's a lot uh-huh. of a lot less of this like strength. You know, strength through discipline and a lot more like I want this awesome motorcycle. Yeah, it's reminding me reminding me of something that you've said uh, maybe even on this podcast that like the closer you get to reality with your superhero comics. Uh, the more it kind of draws attention to the elements that are absurd and kind of break that reality. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's definitely the same with with real world politics, where uh, I think you see that a little bit with, with something like the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, where they're trying to make these real world parallels with, uh, with say, how refugees are treated and so forth. The grittier and more grounded you try to make it the more it just shows you how the analogy doesn't really hold up or it's really oversimplified and and it just uh it's hard to pull off unless you're alan moore for example (laughs) moving on an interesting approach to the storyline is that they sort of portray steve rogers as genuinely believing in hydrofascism being the best way forward for the country and eventually for the world um so that's sort of interesting that, like, they don't portray him as, like... Because, like, even the Hydra inner circle, like Baron Zemo and stuff, they're not, like, opportunists, it doesn't seem like. They seem to all genuinely believe that, like, this is the best thing, is if we take everything over right. and enforce everything with, like, an authoritarian hand. And I think that's one of the things that, like, people have sort of got hung up on. I think we'll talk about this later, but, like, do you want to portray fascism as, like... It's bad, right? But it does work. <laughs> like that seems that seems the trains run on time. Yeah, kind of logic. Yeah, that, I mean that seems really dicey, especially given like the actual 
political tenor of the time of like just a whole cabal of opportunists looking to stab each other in the back. The idea that like me, yeah, actually make me, if you know, if you had the right people like this, this could kind of work. And like, I see how people were, you know, offended obviously by like Captain America, the creation of, you know, two Jewish creators and, you know, revived by two Jewish creators hanging out with people who are not technically, but basically Nazis. Yeah. I I do think there's, something potentially interesting you could do with the idea of this paragon of nobility and altruism who maybe still has those qualities but puts them to service puts them to use in the services of a really grotesque ideology Mm -hmm. um there's levels of complexity that you would need to be able to pull that off in an interesting way and and we'll get into whether they actually succeed with that Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sort of reminded me of the, um, in their multiversity series, Grant Morrison did an issue of basically, like, baby Superman landed in future Nazi Germany and grew up as a Nazi. And that was sort of playing with the similar things of, like, Superman was still altruistic and, you know, believing in helping people, but, you know, just, he was also a Nazi. I think that issue turned out maybe a little better because it was, like, one issue and it ends bleakly. And it was sort of, you know, cordoned off onto, like, this is Earth, you know, 10 or whatever. And yeah. not like, this is a, this is three years of Marvel storylines paying off. Right. Yeah, it, is, it seems just from your description that that gets you to kind of maybe interrogate more of just the idea of those people who were, quote, unquote, normal people who supported these kinds of uh, regimes. and yeah. Uh, in a way that I think this story doesn't quite get into. Mm. Uh, I did have one really pointless small quibble uh, to bring it back to our usual mission statement, which <laughs> is, so early on they talk about how like the heroes went on these missions based on the premise that maybe Cap was like a life model decoy, so a fake robot, or he was mind-controlled, and that every time they the mission went awry and they eventually just realized that uh, Captain America was evil all along. Uh, but it, I, I just it didn't sink in for me because I was like, well, wouldn't they just assume he's an evil universe doppelganger or like a scroll or some other crazy Marvel universe thing? It's, it's almost like it's important for the themes and the plot for them to decide that this is the real Captain America and has been all along. But I don't know. It just didn't add up to me. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things that was influencing that is that like, like in the real world, um, Marvel was like putting out statements that like, no, this is this is actually like this is the real Captain America. This is not a scrawl or a imposter huh. or whatever. So like I think they were supposed to be like reinforcing the like company line of like, we really want you to believe that we're making this change because obviously it's the Marvel Universe and there are a million ways that this could, you know. This could play out, and in the end, it, like it's, yeah. it still was a fake out of like, okay, he's not technically a clone or a you know evil doppelganger, but like he is a cosmic cube created, you know, alternate guy. So yeah, but yeah, yeah, it, it does it does seem like they give up pretty easily on like if I yeah if I if I was yeah. Iron Man and I'm in this situation, I'm like I got like a list of like things that this could be, and like honestly, like the cosmic cube is probably number five. 
Because like, <laughs> Captain America's dealt with a cosmic cube before. If Captain America's acting weird, I'm going to maybe think it's one of the things from his rogues gallery or a collection of iconography. Yeah. But yeah. I also sometimes think that like, if the maybe if the Avengers and the X-Men at this time were not like constantly fighting wars with, with each other, partially because of behind-the-scenes legal you know, business decisions. Um, maybe the Avengers would have access to some like decent telepaths to check this out. You have Jean Grey come in and be like, yeah. yeah, you know, he didn't used to have a backstory where he, you know, was raised by secret Hydra fascists. So I'd, I think you're, I think you're probably in the clear here. But in any case, this is where our heroes are at right now as they're coping with this realization. Uh, so then as the kind of the, bulk of the plot kicks in we have a bunch of different plot lines going on so on the one hand you have the cosmic heroes guardians of the galaxy captain marvel and so on trying to figure out a way to get around this shield that caps set up around the planet meanwhile black widow is trying to hunt down and assassinate cap and she's taken a bunch of the champions with her uh miles morales amadeus cho Ironheart, and so forth for kind of to train them along the way and potentially enlist them. Elsewhere, you have Quicksilver and Iron Man trying to convince Sam Wilson to help them look for the fragments of the cosmic cube scattered around the world uh, with the hope that they can use those to reverse the effect. And you have some alternate reality version of a guy named Steve who looks like a bearded version of Cap wandering through this almost kind of dream world that Justin alluded to. He's transporting a battered young blonde woman somewhere and she dies somewhere along the journey. So we don't know what that's about yet. Uh, elsewhere, you also have the, the Hydra Cap and Hydra tracking down the cosmic cube fragments in places like Atlantis and Wakanda. Then you have Hydra Punisher trying to track down Black Widow. And we learn that Ultron has started making cities full of Ultrons in a remote bit of Alaska. He seems to have some kind of truce with Hydra, but both Cap and the Avengers want the bit of cosmic cube he possesses. So they, both the good guys and the bad guys, are going after the, the cube fragment. Cap has kind of his team of evil Avengers that include Thor, Scarlet Witch, and Taskmaster. And then in that kind of alternate reality dream world, we see Steve Rogers encountering people who look like Sam Wilson and Bucky, although they're not named. And they're going through a journey through what almost seems like kind of a idyllic dreamscape version of America. So the Avengers arrive in Alaska and they see Ultron, who is at this point, sort of a mashup of Hank Pym and Ultron. Kind of a two-faced thing going on. Yeah, yep. He's half Hank Pym, but he's all kind of crazy. (laughs) He then imprisons both the good and bad Avengers and makes them eat dinner in his recreation of the Avengers mansion. At this point, Pym uses this as a chance to rehash some old drama between him and his former teammates, particularly Iron Man. He gives a big speech about how every time the Avengers try to fix the world, whether it's during Civil War with superhero registration or Scarlet Witch using her powers, 
in the House of M event, they end up making things worse. He's on the verge of killing them at this point, and Scott Lang, Ant, the Ant-Man at the time, manages to seemingly get on Pym's good side and win him over, and he sends them away with the Cosmic Cube fragment, leaving the Hydra team empty-handed. Meanwhile, Namor agrees to negotiate with Hydra to protect Atlantis from conquest and gives Cap the Atlanteans' fragment of the Cosmic Cube. And Hydra Cap reveals that, they're, that they have an agent working with the Good Avengers, and it's implied that it's Quicksilver. The Good Avengers continue to go to other sites where fragments are, including the Savage Land, Wakanda, and Madripoor. They come up empty-handed in Wakanda and in Madripoor, but Cap then threatens Beast into giving up their fragment of the cube. Elsewhere, Cap, Bucky, and Sam are traveling through that dream world, and they get ambushed by the Red Skull. The younger Avengers, who are traveling with Black Widow, are getting antsy and objecting to her methods, uh, which are getting increasingly violent, and they start planning to leave. Back in New York City, the heroes in the Dark Force bubble are trying to help the people of the city get by. Uh, among the good guys in this reality is Kingpin, more or less. He's kind of protecting the people. Hydra next begins to assault the Mount, the secret base of the rebels. And it turns out that Hydra was basically using them to collect the fragments. The Avengers start to argue about who Hydra's mole and their ranks might be. It turns out it's actually... Ant-Man, whose daughter has been kidnapped by Hydra. Hydra is having trouble still breaching the, the defenses in the mount, so Cap enlists the Hulk to smash in. Cap and the rest of Hydra break in and beat the Avengers, and Cap is on the verge of killing Tony Stark when Madame Hydra enters, zaps Cap with some kind of magical energy, and says, Banish. The mount then explodes. So that's kind of the middle portion of the story. And the one thing that I I did wonder about in terms of your reaction to this, but there are a lot of moments in this story where they'll be there's the alternate universe trope where they'll be talking about an unknown character for a few panels uh, in kind of vague terms and then reveal who it is. And you're supposed to be surprised that this beloved character in a surprising new role within this reality uh, and I don't know if it's just because I'm pretty jaded at alternate reality storylines now having read a bunch of them but none of them really kind of surprised or wowed me what do, what did you think about the that kind of trope well see it's, it's, it's interesting because like <clears throat> I'm not even sure that this is what you would totally call like a alternate reality storyline because like it is because like the cosmic cube has like warped captain america but i'm sort of unclear as to like whether or not that's supposed to have had a butterfly effect and is changing other things or if like right. or if it's just like is everything still the marvel universe but like cap is in like a bubble of like his thing changed and nobody else's did because like there's definitely been yeah. like a time skip and i'm not sure if it's if, if we're supposed to be like this is Cosmic Cube Earth, which is very similar, but has these different elements. Or if it's like, this is just what's going to happen to the world within 
a couple of weeks if because it, cause it, it right. seems very abrupt and like at the beginning with the when like you had in that first issue where you have like the teachers in school doing the, the propaganda mm-hmm. like the, the kids are already familiar with like the new history <laughs> and stuff mm-hmm. so it seems like well did they retroactively go back and do stuff or like is Hydra again like that good and that efficient that like in you know three yeah. or four weeks they have completely like they've gotten kids to care about history for the first for the first time, you know, yeah. You, you got ten year olds like, <laughs> yeah, he'll ha- yeah, it was a it was Baron Strucker and stuff, you know. So yeah, like, yeah it was. I mean, because it definitely plays like you said, like with a lot of like the same like beats as an alternate reality thing where it's like, oh, here's this guy and he's like stepping up to protect his city and he, you know, steps in and then oh, oh, it's the kingpin. But like, is it just that like the kingpin is supposed to be in the situation and however many weeks or months into Hydra's takeover that like this is who the real kingpin is now. I mean, the other one, the other big yeah. one was like was like the Punisher, because like we've seen in previous crossovers that like the Punisher is on like Cap's side generally, or like admires Captain America. Yeah, but like is even the like <laughs> maybe I shouldn't say this speaks ill of the Punisher because like the Punisher is not a role model. I want to say that the Punisher is not a role model. <laughs> if you have bumper stickers on your car. But, um, yeah, like, he just, like, falls into line immediately. He's like, Cap- oh, Captain America's a, a fascist? I'm a fascist, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm on board. You want, you want me to take out some freedom fighters? I got your back. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn my, my chest skull logo into a Hydra logo. It, it's a pretty seamless transition. Yeah. So yeah, I was I was really sort of like struggling the whole time, like thinking about like, well, how much of this is, this is the reality that the cosmic cube has made, and how much of this is just right. like things went to hell in a handbasket, like immediately, yeah, <laughs> immediately. <laughs> so it's yeah, it is it's, it is very vague. I felt that's true. I like I it definitely isn't an uh, clear cut alternate timeline where you have oh, this is Marvel Earth six nine. Seven yeah. or something now. Yeah, and like, um, and, and part of it is my own unfamiliarity with like some of the characters now, where I'm like, is is Two Face, Hank Pym, Ultron is like, is that what happened because of Hydra, or is that like three crossovers ago that I just don't know about? Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, I, I want to be fair to the story, so mm-hmm. maybe if if I had those that context, it would be a little bit more effective. But just in isolation. It, it seemed kind of the standard, you know, oh, this character is evil in this storyline. This character is, you know, not or that kind of thing. But. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it definitely, like, whether or not, wh- whichever way it's supposed to be, it's definitely played that way of, like, I bet you weren't expecting to see the Beast in charge of, you know, a mutant, you know, country or whatever. Yeah, and so, that just felt kind of random. I was like, I, I guess it's Beast, okay? It's <laughs> supposed to be, that's... Uh, that makes uh it's like they were thinking okay it can't be magneto can't be cyclops who haven't we done yet it's like they'll hear of a mutant nation in right. an alternate reality yeah it's like beast yeah he's a good public speaker i guess so mm-hmm. <laughs> i buy him as a leader so one theme that gets brought up particularly in this section to begin with and that they keep coming back to is this idea that the Avengers are like the older generation and they've screwed everything up time and time again. And that has led to this situation. 
And you could read this as a commentary on, on the idea that uh, the baby boomers were responsible for Trump's rise. And I'm just wondering what you think about this theme in terms of maybe how well it's executed in the story and and uh, in universe based on w- what you you do know about the Avengers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, no, that's a, that's interesting. I, I hadn't thought about that angle about like the older heroes representing like the older generation, but like I think that makes a lot of sense. Because yeah, because I, I do see that about like it's, it's like the the young heroes are like immediately like of course we're not gonna we're not gonna fall into line here. And Iron Man is like, well, maybe, maybe Cap is still okay, or like maybe we can figure this out. Or, yeah, I, I, I do think that that kind of works. I, I like that. I think that's a that's a good lens to look at this through. So yeah, like as as far as like how the idea is executed, I think it works. It works really well. I'm kind of doubtful from like a universe superhero universe maintenance thing of like you want to keep if you want to admit that like how badly your flagship heroes keep screwing up all the time, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. Like if you're, you know, if you're, if you're, ta- if my, if, if my takeaway from this crossover is that like the Avengers suck and should give up yeah. basically, am I then going to rush out and be like, can't wait for the next issue of Avengers where I can see how, <laughs> see how badly they screw it up next month. Yeah. I did feel, uh, very cynical and, and kind of the, the deconstruction type vein of comics where you know it's all about the real world the quote-unquote real world consequences of what it would be like to have these heroes and Mm -hmm. plays into that that bleakness that people were not thrilled about at the time yeah so i did just have a little bit of nitpicking about the art in this section Mm -hmm. um particularly there's a an issue that's all that's a lot of black widow and and fights with Cap and the Punisher, and uh, I think overall the art is pretty solid. It's stark and gritty, like you would hope. But in this issue, I, I just felt like there were too many close-ups, and the choreography of the fights and the panels was not really clear. I don't know if it was just me having trouble following it, but I couldn't get a sense of where the characters were in relation to one another. Uh, or to their environment and that sort of thing. I don't. Again, I don't want to. I want, don't want to be like comics used to be better because they weren't. This is there's some really good draftsmanship going on here, but I feel like in a lot of comics these days, I notice that like the fight choreography is less clear. Like it's less like a this happens and then this happens and this happens and this happens. It's all like flashes of moments, and they mm-hmm. sort of they sort of add up to like a big crazy fight is going on but it's not like a thing that you could follow from like panel to panel as to like yeah i know where black widow was here and then she jumps over here and then like i could map this out in my head yeah like you could with you know even like again i'm not gonna say that like jack kirby is a superior draftsman to the artists in this you know in this comic book but like you know you could sort of follow like where people were like in a room or in an, an environment right there's a clear sense of like who's doing what and to whom yeah I wanted to talk about the art in general just at this point because, again, that is a weakness that I think one is aware of as, like, somebody who focuses on the writing that, like, you sort of like, yeah, art's nice. Next. <laughs> but, um, so I think that the way that they broke up the art in this series is interesting because they couldn't have one artist do everything just because that's not feasible anymore with, like, the level of detail that is expected in modern-day comics. 
But instead of having like issues, you know, one through three are drawn by this artist and then they get another artist to do the next three, they split up individual like sequences and like thematic elements almost up where like one artist will draw, you know, Black Widow and the champions and one artist will draw, you know, the bearded Steve Rogers and the kind of dream world and a different artist will draw like these scenes and stuff. That's interesting. What do you think of that? What do you think of that approach? I I think that's a really, I think that does have a lot of potential. Mm-hmm. Um, I I did find the the art styles in general seem to fit pretty well with the the tone. It seems like a good idea to kind of play to each artist's strengths. Yeah, definitely. That's what I was. That's what I was thinking of. Is like this? They cast, you know, sort of quote unquote cast everybody very well for what they had to do. I I have to say I was rushing through the issues a little bit. At certain points. <laughs> no, I, I, I there's there's so that, that's something I want to bring up to. There's so much of the story. <laughs> yeah. I was probably not giving it the attention it it deserves, but you know, I wanted to make sure we delivered this episode <laughs> on time. Mm-hmm. Oh, just and like a lot of the a lot of the plot in this section is sort of like it's a, you know, it's gather the the pieces, you know, it's like the like a, like a video game like we got you got to find eight pieces of the cosmic cube mm-hmm. and we know, we know they're here, here and here and like go out and get them. Yeah. So, uh, the last third of the story starts in, uh, Captain America, number 25, Captain America, volume, whatever it is at, <laughs> at this point. Um, and then eight, nine, 10 and an epilogue issue. So uh, we start out with Captain America in like full Nazi style, like Hydra dress regalia. He declares war on Wakanda and the mutant nation of New Tian, and he soundly defeats both. Uh, Sam Wilson leads the Avengers to liberate a camp of Inhumans. Um, he dresses those. Sam Wilson has sort of had his cynicism worn down, and he's decided, like, I'm going to embrace being the good Captain America here and rally the heroes. He leads the Avengers to liberate a camp full of Inhumans, one of whom is somebody who we saw in issue one and didn't seem super important at the time. But he's an inhuman who seems to have the power to, when he sees something and it's not totally selfish, he is able to replicate the thing inside of him and then barf it up. Um, including, and crucially for the story, he's able to barf up a fragment of Cosmic Cube, having been shown a picture of it. Sam broadcasts a message that inspires the superheroes sort of scattered in their different locales, um, and they each launch an assault on their respective fronts whether that's fighting Hydra or trying to get through the planetary shield or trying to break through the dark force dome. Each assault appears to fail at first, but just when all hope looks lost and everybody looks like this is, this is the end um, the heroes rally and they end up prevailing. They break through the planetary defense shield with the help of a female quasar who I was not aware of or know who she is. And they dispel the dark force dome and save New York city. We find out that the other Steve, the Steve in sort of the dream realm, is a memory of Kobik, the sentient cosmic cube, who is disguised as a scared little girl. And all this stuff has been taking place in her mindscape. So you almost sort of were led to believe that like this was a memory that the real Steve Rogers was having, but it was actually her memory of the pre-cosmic cube altered Steve. This is confusing, but (laughs) try to bear... We're almost to the end. Um, But the... uh, pre-tampering Steve convinces Kobik to return his own memories and restore him to reality. Hydra puts fragments of the cosmic cube that they've collected into evil Steve, 
who uh, then sort of turned into like sort of a ultimate cap green armor Hydra final form boss mode. Um, he suddenly defeats the superheroes in Washington, D.C., and then with like the full the cosmic cube in his possession, uh, remakes the world in his image. So like he retroactively goes back and makes, you know, the changes the Fantastic Four origin and makes it so like everybody has always been Hydra and he assures everybody that like he's going to fix everything and like bring back, you know, Rick Jones and everybody else that he's killed to get here. Um, a weird plan involves Sam giving evil cap the remaining cosmic cube fragment, the one piece that they got from the barf up in human guy. And, um, it involves like the winter and soldier, the winter soldier and Ant-Man kind of hitch a ride on the fragment of cube. And they somehow pull good Steve out of the cube. Uh, the two caps duke it out. And ultimately good Steve is able to lift Mjolnir and knock out evil Steve. Um, so that's the end of apparently the entire Hydra threat is that you knock out the boss and you, you win the U S seeing that good cap has defeated bad cap goes back to normal again. And like seemingly a couple, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, but the public's trust in cap is implied to be severely shaken, especially among the younger, younger generation in an epilogue issue. Um, good cap visits bad cap in prison. Good Cap is basically like, you're just a pale imitation of me. I don't see any difference between you and an LMD or a, you know, evil clone or whatever. Uh, Bad Cap reminds me of how readily people were willing to fall into line behind Hydra and says it's just a matter of time before, like, they will rise again. And to sort of prove this point, after Good Cap leaves the prison, one of Bad Cap's prison guards goes up to him and sort of like, pretending to sort of rough him up and, you know, securing the prisoner. But he whispers in his ear, Hail Hydra. So, possibly to be continued still. Yep. So, uh, <laughs> go ahead. We can only hope. Yeah. So, um, again, dealing with, like, the fact that, like, everything... America becomes, like, super Hydra land in seemingly, like, weeks or a couple of months. Like, everything gets back to normal, like, equally quickly. We're, like... Right. Like, they apparently totally dismantled the American government and how it operates. And then it's just like, you you turn it off and turn it back on again. And it's like, <laughs> all right, president's here. We got Congress. Everything's, you know, everything's back to normal. Yeah. And like, do you think that it's awkward for people that everybody was like, oh, hey, like, I remember how I was saying Hail Hydra and stuff. Like, sorry, that was sort of a, there was sort of a weird phase where I was a fascist. Um, all the other kids are doing it. Um, and, and for that matter, like, all those kids got to be deprogrammed now. <laughs> true, true, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, first of all, I think it's important to, to have unity at that at that moment. <laughs> um, but it is, it, it does make me wonder about that. So I mentioned the article where they were speculating that maybe they changed the ending with the backlash to the uh to the original reveal of cap. Yeah. And I wonder if that's like why it seems kind of rushed. And, uh, they were also, uh, one of the writers was talking about how the, even the cosmic cube barfing solution, uh, seems like a, you know, a deus ex machina for like, as, as ridiculous as like all of superhero powers and stuff are, 
it felt really like out of the blue for like okay this guy like in issue one he's his his brother or whatever wants a lunchbox and so he looks at a picture of a lunchbox and he like pukes up a lunchbox mm-hmm. that's you know comic book powers are weird so like I'm, I'm gonna I, I, I can accept that <laughs> that's apparently where, where my suspension of disbelief is calibrated as like yeah he pukes up a Captain America lunchbox okay mm-hmm. you show him a picture of like this is a reality warping immeasurably powerful cosmic artifact fragment he's like yeah hold on yep alright yeah you go like do you want do you want to show me a picture of like the infinity gauntlet or you know like do you want do you want me to look at a picture of a million dollars and I'll you know I'll get on that next so yeah that was weird but yeah and that's we get like I wonder if he shows up in any of the tie-in issues because we get a really brief appearances from him in the first couple of issues and then we really never hear about him again until the end. Yeah, I guess that's a part of a function of like reading something that in you know was like twenty or thirty issues that like we're reading a third of that, and who knows what else has been going on that maybe explains all of this stuff in in better context. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But yeah, I had, circling back to the original point about like maybe this was sort of hastily rewritten that that maybe makes some sense because it does feel like everything goes back. Like it's like the, like the end of return of the Jedi where like the emperor is dead and like apparently everybody else just surrenders hmm. immediately. <laughs> cause yeah. like, cause like, you know, like you beat evil captain America, but like apparently Hydra runs everything. So mm-hmm. you, you see, you still got like a lot of work to like clean that out, but it's like right. Im- immediately, like it is like you beat the final boss you beat Dracula, Transylvania's back to normal now. You know. He was the head vampire. Right, he was the head vampire. <laughs> you have to kill the head vampire. And they did. And then, yeah, so it, I don't... And again, I suppose that if we're looking for like a real-world parallel that ended up be, being relevant years later, the idea that like you could storm the Capitol and be like, oh, you're going to hold that against me? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so do you think that, um, like you were saying in those articles, like, do you think that the ending is a letdown compared to the earlier chapters of the of the story? Like, do you think that like it was it started out strong and then got weaker and weaker, or what? What did you think of the whole, the, basically, the arc of the series? I would say I I do agree that the cube barfing guy seemed like a little bit of a cheat, but I don't necessarily feel like it that was a precipitous drop from the quality of of the earlier issues. I did. Mm-hmm. There were some things um, that I did think were successful. There's a, uh, like, at one point it's revealed that Tony Stark was kind of, he had invented this device that he was claiming showed where the cosmic cube fragments were, but it turned out that he really didn't know, and he was just doing that to to give them some hope. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I did like some of those elements, and then when, when they're recovering from that at the end, I think that gets fairly satisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I sort of... So, so I also read some, like, reviews and stuff, and I also noticed that, like, the reviews seemed to get worse and worse as it went on. A lot of the comments that I kept seeing were, like, it starts out as a, you know, sort of almost, like, philosophical, like, weighty problem, and it turns into, like, just sort of gets revolved, uh, resolved by big superhero fights. Yeah. And on, on some level, I feel like... I mean, it is a superhero crossover at some point, I don't know if there's like much 
getting away from that, that like, this is how we solve problems in, you know, in, in superhero world is that like we punch yeah. the bad guy. And is it, is it just that like, it was too like morally and politically complex at the beginning that we don't believe that like you can, like we said, you can punch the head vampire and everything crumbles. Yeah. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of, I'm sort of mixed on that reaction of like, well, it is a superhero story. Like we're going to, you're going to be, you know, fix this problem by punching it or by coming up with a wacky time travel or cosmic cube thing to undo it. But like, that's just sort of what you signed up for. If you want, if you wanted to like see this resolved politically and thoughtfully, like that's not, this isn't like, this isn't the right genre for that. Right. Yeah. And I, I, I think that even, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Nick Spencer, not to speak for his intentions, but that, that, this was sort of a cathartic thing for for him and that he was trying to deliver to the public mm-hmm. where you know at some point you just want to see some nazis getting punched <laughs> right. and uh you do have the younger heroes who are all all tended to be more diverse than the older generation so it does feel like you know there's that kind of escapism too where you've got that generation triumphing over the uh, the evil cap. Yeah, I will say that all the stuff about like there's a moment in there, like in like the later part of the story, where like all the plans look like they, look like they fail, and everybody is feeling that the narration is like we failed, we tried and we failed, and you know we felt some hope for a little bit, but that's been crushed, and we just feel so terrible. But then we get back up again, and like that was a genuinely like that's the sort of thing that like you like in like a, the proper sort of superhero stuff that like still gets to me is that like. All the chips are down, and then you, you you try again, and you persevere, and that was like a you know, like you said like a really cathartic moment where I felt like yeah things are gonna get better yeah so that was yeah, it was well done but it, yeah I, I can see how like if this is built up as such a complex issue in the first third of the story and the last third of the story is just like we knock out some jets and we break up the demon dome and we you know, we punch through the shield right that maybe that's not totally satisfying so yeah it's a it is tricky like i am I, I keep going i'm not totally even sure now having spent some time with it like is this a success like i don't i don't hate this you know like i it's yeah. not it's not necessarily my, my cup of tea because again the modern superhero thing i just don't totally click with it but like i would never say that like this this was a this was a terrible comic i would not say this is this is crap mm-hmm. you know it's it's yeah. well written i think there's a lot of good intense i think yeah. there's a there's a lot of um just like the you know the moment to moment like the dialogue is good, but yeah, 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 I'm I'm just yeah I just sort of like feel like maybe this is almost like too. This is condescending, but like is it too big for its britches? <laughs> like to do like a big you know thirty part Marvel summer crossover that is about like what do we do about the problem of fascism in, <laughs> in, yeah. in the United States? I don't know. I don't think this was exceptionally successful in that if that's what we're trying to do here and i wonder if how it would have played if you were referring to that kind of that one issue superman story and if he had maybe four issues of bleakness before the last two where you get the hope rather than like 28 crossover issues and main issues before you get to like the last two uh issues that give you some kind of sense of positivity yeah uh, i wonder if that would have changed the reaction at the time as well 
Mm-hmm. I also wonder what would have happened. So you were saying that maybe like there's some evidence like maybe this whole thing was planned out well in advance and like it just sort of happened to hit at a bad time. I wonder yeah. how the, I wonder the, how this would have played like if this had happened in you know 2012 or if this happened you know mm-hmm. next summer or something. Right. How that would have been received differently. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I definitely think it would have landed differently. Stepping away from the political elements a little bit, what do you think of it in terms of some of the other alternate realities <laughs> or altered realities storylines that yeah, the, the big, Marvel like, and other companies have done? Yeah, I mean, it was it's it's neat because like it it does whether it is like by the you know most pedantic description or whatever of an alternate reality thing. Like it is, it is like structured, like an alternate reality thing, certainly. And like, I do feel like, you know, it's, it's interesting, right? Like I get that Sam Wilson is not, you know, he's not feeling up to this when the country just said like, sure, Hydra, why not? Um, Mm -hmm. I like the idea that like, yeah, the, the young heroes sort of form a tenuous alliance with black widow and black widow was used to like training, you know, was trained as like a child soldier. So yeah, she's, okay with doing that but everybody else is like i'm not sure if you should be doing this yeah all the all the like all the roles and stuff were were sort of interesting and you know when they kingpin stepping up to be like when this is over i want people to think well of bulls and fisk so mm-hmm. i'm gonna help out so yeah like yeah i, I felt all the all the ro- you know hit all those kind of beats that you want and you want to see like in this situation what is this character gonna do i thought it was sort of funny that like on the first like secret empire number one i think there's a giant like peter parker spider-man on the cover and he doesn't he doesn't show up until like the last or second to last issue of the actual yeah actual series so it's like i have no idea what peter parker's been up to in you know his this fascist utopia that he lives in <laughs> or whatever but yeah like was 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 J. Jonah jameson like behind it or not behind it was he like maybe i should shave my mustache finally yeah i <laughs> does make you want to at least check out those tie-in issues. Marvel Unlimited subscription is affordable, sixty-nine <laughs> ninety-nine. Is this is this an ad read? Do we do we get do we get money? Square, uh, Square, Squarespace for all your hosting. <laughs> we should we should just start throwing those out there. Just like all the you know, all the all the usual suspects, just start like shilling for mattresses and like maybe maybe they'll, they'll forget that they didn't pay us and start cutting <laughs> yeah. those checks. Yep. Fake it till you make it. Yep. LinkedIn. If you're hiring, <laughs> go to LinkedIn. So um, people had a huge problem with the Hydra Captain America, like we've been talking about. And like, I so I remember, like, I wasn't reading it, but like, I, you know, it got a lot of mainstream, even sort of like main, pseudo mainstream attention of like non-comments websites revealing like, hey, Captain America has been a fascist and Marvel saying like, no, this is the real Captain America. Yeah. Maybe I'm jaded as someone who's not like engaged in like the you know month to month Marvel Universe experience anymore. But like, I feel like you had to know that this wasn't going to be permanent. Like, no matter how much Tom Braveheart or whatever is telling you, like, no, this is not a dream. This is not. This is Steve Rogers, real Captain America. Like, you there's a million outs, like you said, in the Marvel Universe for this. That like, even if you know, even if that was their intent, that like. Yeah, we're we totally mean for him to have been a you know secret sleeper agent the whole time. You know that like in th- you know two years, 
a new editor could come along and a new writer and say like, oh, I'm going to figure out a way out of this. Yeah. You know? And so like, uh, what do you think was behind like the frequency of outrage? Was it about Captain America being this beloved character and this beloved icon and, you know, being the creation of Jewish creators? Was it about the specific political climate in 2017 and like I said like maybe five years earlier or five years later this wouldn't have been a deal or is it that like to be involved as like with comic books now you have to like do almost sort of like a I'm not sure the pronunciation but it's like a wrestling term it's like kayfabe where like you have to totally like think like I'm going to treat this as though it's 100% real and not think about like what's going on behind the scenes at all like what do you think Hmm. was the, the flashpoint for like why did this get people that angry that quickly? Because I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure myself. I so I, I do think like the the kind of the two camps that I talked about briefly account for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Um, politically related concerns, and then the uh, people are big fans of Captain America. I do think that the uh, the changes to the status quo that you and I are really familiar with as long times, long time comics readers. Um, I wonder if there's still not that level of awareness that this is like a, a typical thing where, you know, Superman will be killed and replaced by four people for a year and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that might've been a playing a role as well. I feel like there is a, an expectation. I, and it sometimes, sometimes wonder if it's, it's more like, even if you know that this is going to be reversed, if you just like stories go on for so long these days mm. that like, if you, if this was like a five issue thing of like Captain America gets turned into, into Hydra for five issues, are you a little, maybe a little bit more on board with that versus like, right. This was like a, a two year storyline. Are you just like, yep. I don't want to spend the next two years reading about Nazi Captain America I yep. want to. I want to get back to like what I and that's and that's sort of like the thing about like the illusion of change versus like actual change. Like, you want things to be interesting and like even people who didn't like I, some reviewers that I read said like I don't like the idea of Captain America being a Nazi. You know, obviously, but like this is an interesting development and like this is a and that is yeah. how stories work. Where like things have to get bad or there has to be conflict or things can't you know things have to be wrong in some way. Mm-hmm. So that you resolve them and it's interesting. If everything is like happy and okay all the time, there's not like a story there. Yeah. So it certainly is dramatic to say like, yeah, Captain America is a Hydra sleeper and is going to take over the the country. But it's like there is the escapist element of comic books. Where do you want to? Do you want to? Basically, do you want to sit through that? I guess. And like, I could I could yeah. probably easily more easily sit through. I sat through an issue of Nazi Superman on earth, you know, 10 or whatever it was perfectly well. I don't know if I would, would have sat through two years and then a 12 issue crossover maxi series about Nazi Superman. Yes. But DC is, is a, it seems like they're, they're interested in that question. <laughs> right. Their I... contemporary uh, Superman depictions. But yeah. <laughs> at least evil Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other final thoughts about Secret Empire? Uh, no, it's it's vexing. You know, I don't read many, like I said, many contemporary Marvel comics. This maybe didn't inspire me to get 
connected up again, but that's not really its job because I think this was very much catering to people who have been invested in all this and wanted to see like how this was going to shake out. So, yeah. I, yeah, like I said, I don't think it's a bad comic. I certainly don't think you should be sending anybody death threats for anything, least of all this. <laughs> yes. But yeah, I you know it's it's competent, but mm-hmm. I am happy to leave this one in the in the rearview mirror. What about what about you? I uh, pretty much feel the same way. Um, we went into this, I think, both of us expecting it to be more disastrous based yeah. on the reaction to it, um, which is kind of why we're, we're struggling to find <laughs> things to say really about the the content in some cases. But yeah, yeah, it was really really just that like people did not respond. People like just noped out of the idea. And then no matter how, you know, brilliant this might have been, I don't think that you would have gotten people on your side and like, that's maybe not totally invalid. Right. Yeah. But we, we can move on to, to goofier and more fun (laughs) topics with our next segment, which is cannon fodder in which we try to stump each other with obscure and bizarre comic book trivia uh i can start us off with a question today sure well one of them has a tenuous connection to today's issue but Mm -hmm. uh, today's story that's all i'll say the dc superhero supergirl has a typically convoluted history history for a character who has been around for more than 15 years in various incarnations what was the origin story of the earliest DC character to bear the name Supergirl? A. She was Queen Lucy of a fictional Latin American nation called Borgonia, who, after befriending Superboy upon arriving in Smallville, takes up the name Supergirl to compete as an acrobat in an athletic competition. B. Jimmy Olsen rubbed the gem of a mystical staff and then wished for his pal Superman to find a female counterpart to spend time with, summoning a girl with all of Kal-El's powers. C. Superboy encountered a mad scientist named Professor Dream, who could make dreams and nightmares come true using his dream converter apparatus, and promptly dreamed up Supergirl to help him thwart the scientist's plans. Or D. Lois Lane's college roommate, Amelia Barnes, was captured by aliens known as Titanians who injected her with a serum that gave her superpowers with the goal of drawing Superman's attention while they attempted to steal a giant crystal containing the life essence of one of their comrades. Hmm. Okay, so I I read about the Supergirl before. I know that there was a a sort of a proto-Supergirl. I think it was Super-Girl. I've seen this in my Superman encyclopedia, but... I'm not going to cheat and look at it, <laughs> even though it's, I can actually literally see it. Um, it's either B or C, I think. It was, or it would be B, B, B was Jimmy Olsen and a genie or something. Rubbing the gem of a mystical staff. Gem of a mystical staff. And the second one was Professor Dream. I'm going to yeah. say, this is totally 50-50. Totally I'm going to say B, the magical gem. That is incorrect. Ah. Oh. It is actually so that was an origin of Supergirl. Um, so maybe I should give you a half point for that <laughs> because there was a the 
the fictional Latin American queen was the oh wow was the first character to bear that name. No, you said uh, you said first character, so that's 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 fair. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, am, I am impressed by you knowing the <laughs> the other one, so I feel like a half point might be. <laughs> I, will, I will, I will, you know, I will, I will just, I will not take the half point, but I will, I will say, I will feel some sort of saving of face. Okay. From that. So my first question: um, uh, Secret Empire, as we've said, was extremely controversial for transforming Captain America into a Hydra true believer. It's not the first time that Cap has been involved in strange transformations. Many of them coming after, under the pen of the character's longtime uh, writer Mark Grunewald in the 80s and 90s, for whom Silver Age DC-style superhero transformations were a favorite plot device. Both of my questions are about uh, two such transformations from Gru's uh, classic run. Okay. <laughs> um, one of Grunewald's most famous storylines, um, one that we should probably get around to doing one day, uh, is a 1992 six-parter in which Captain America is turned into a werewolf yeah. Fights a hypnotized Wolverine, is taught how to speak in wolf form by X Factor's Wolfsbane, and finds t- time to team up with Dr. Druid, Cable, and J. Jonah Jameson's son, who was also a werewolf. <laughs> Although the storyline is often commonly referred to as Cap Wolf, which is how the werewolf Captain America is named informally on one of the covers, what is the painful pun title by which this story is actually called? Is it A, Dances with Werewolves? Is it B, By the Twilight's Last Howling? C, Man and Wolf? Or D, Full Moonstruck? (laughs) I am going to go with D. It was Man and Wolf. Ah. Although, actually, like Man and Wife, I guess. Uh, Dances with Werewolves was the title of one of the issues, so I can't... Lay claim to that brilliant, um, that brilliant little pun. Nice, nice. Uh, so I have a question about Punisher. Okay. So he originally fought in the Vietnam War, but like Marvel did with many of its heroes tied to either Vietnam or World War II, the company retconned his backstory so that he wouldn't be pushing 70, running around, gunning down people. Originally, they altered his backstory so that he was a Gulf War and War on Terror vet. Recently, what fictional war did Marvel make up to further ensure Frank Castle will forever be the fresh-faced, doe-eyed ingenue fans know and love? (laughs) Was it A, the Sokovian War, centering on a devoutly religious robotic replicant of Doctor Doom, seizing power and fomenting his civil war in a stereotypical Eastern European stand and country? Was it B, Operation Desert Shield, focused on stereotypical Middle Eastern stand-in nation Trans-Sabal, centering on oil rights and fought against an army of freedom fighters formerly given advanced technology by S.H.I.E.L.D.? C, the Wundagorian Civil War, a protracted conflict against religious separatists led by a cow-human hybrid with one side partially financed by a U.S.-based beef and meatpacking company. <laughs> Or D, the Siang Kong War, a conflict in a stereotypical Asian stand-in nation which began as a war against communism but was secretly fought over Dragon's Breath, a mysterious interdimensional energy that had originally flowed from the well of all things. I am fairly sure that it's 
Di, the Xian Kong War, because is it, first, first of all, is is that true? Am I am I right there? You are correct. Yes. And do you know how I, do you know how I know that? Because I read about I read about no. the uh, there wasn't like the Mark Wade wrote like a nude history of the Marvel Universe or something, and yeah. I remember that that fictional country comes from like Avengers number like sixteen or like some some like early sort of vague Avengers and like I remember being like huh. a, a, a kid like a kid like I was like 18 or whatever and I was reading this in like the essential Avengers and being like this could solve all of the all of the Vietnam problems if you use this fake <laughs> Vietnam country and then 15 years later Mark Wade had the same idea so Mark Wade whatever yeah. you made on that comic I would suggest donating what's what seems fair 20 20 percent <laughs> to a account for the betterment of indefensible ink that I'm going to set up. Sounds fair. I'm not setting up a Patreon. I'm setting up a Mark Wade, give me some money, <laughs> some money account. <laughs> Do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so my second question is Cap was not the only one subject to transformations under Mark Grunewald. Um, in Captain America number 324, no, sorry, 344, what was then President Reagan turned into, and by whom? Was it A, a blood-sucking living vampire by Morbius, B, a cold-blooded snake man by Viper, C, a many-tentacled avatar of the dark god Shumagorath by Kulan Gath, <laughs> or D, an armored Robocop-like cyborg by Machine Smith? <laughs> okay. Um, they fixed him, well, sort of, by the end of it. <laughs> I'm leaning heavily towards either the Snake Man one because I know Cap fought the Serpent Society pretty often, and the Machine Smith one also seems plausible for some reason. I'm gonna go. I'll, I'm gonna go with the Snake Man though. That is correct. Okay. It was Viper poisoned. Um, used some sort of one of the Serpent Society's you know glands or whatever. Turned a bunch of Washington D.C. Washington, into Snake Men. Uh, our boy Ronald Reagan was one of them. And by the end, he's only sort of cured. <laughs> There's sort of like an implication that like maybe he's still got some of that in them in him. But um, I feel like Greenwald's position on the president was summed up by a the cover in which Captain America is fighting a shadowy figure in the Oval Office. And it says, the captain fights the deadliest snake of them all. <laughs> ah, well done. <laughs> both, both you, Ryan, and to the late Mark Greenwald, who we miss every day. This is Justin with a quick announcement to correct an error you might have just noticed. Uh, since we recorded this episode, I found out that the idea for uh, using a Cian Kong conflict as a replacement for the Vietnam War in the Marvel Universe did not originate with Mark Wade. Um, he just happened to be the first person to have the opportunity to use it in a published comic. The concept I have since learned actually originated with Kurt Busiek, who is now exploring the war and its implications in the pages of his new series, The Marvels, currently on sale and which, incidentally, I am enjoying. Um, I apologize to Busiek for the error and to Wade for attempting to extort money from him. I 
would try extorting money from Busiek instead for stealing my idea, but it turns out he originally came up with it dating back to his run on Iron Man from the late 90s, but he was not able to implement it at the time. That means his concept significantly predates mine, and consequently shatters the airtight legal case I had all lined up to go. For this reason, I am no longer requesting money from Wade or Busiek. Um, I am requesting money from Jeff Loeb, but only because I hated Ultimatum that much and think I am due some sort of financial recompense for reading it. We now return you to your pre-recorded, regularly scheduled podcast, already in progress. Uh, time for recommendations? Um, I'm going to recommend the first seven issues of Volume 3 of Captain America from 1998. This was written by Mark Wade, um, who, as we've established, owes me, owes me money, and penciler Ron Garney with some guest artists before throwing to new regular penciler Andy Kubert. Uh, this was the second time in as many years that Captain America relaunched with the number one, which isn't that unusual these days, but was a big thing back in 1998. This was released after the controversial and largely disastrous Heroes Reborn initiative, which we've discussed a couple of times on the podcast, um, including an episode dedicated to the actually decent, I think, uh, Fantastic Four relaunch. Anyway, I bring this up today because, like today's story, it also involves Hydra exploiting the enormous and unquestioning trust that um, most of the people of the Marvel Universe have for Captain America for their own ends, just from a completely different angle from Secret Empire. In this arc, Captain America, like the rest of the Avengers and Fantastic Four, get back from the Heroes Reborn uh, pocket universe, where he was presumed dead. And this miraculous return inspires a wave of popularity that borderlines on almost religious devotion. And the arc focuses on how this affects Cap himself, who is extremely uncomfortable with being the center of uh, basically an unintentional cult of personality. I won't spoil more than that, plot-wise, in case you want to check it out, because there is a killer twist that, like, really knocked me out at the time. Um, anyway, it's been collected in an edition called an edition called To Serve and Protect. If you like the way that Secret Empire examined what uh, Captain America means to the Marvel Universe, or if you didn't like Secret Empire and you would like to see similar themes touched on in a different way, and it has to be said in fewer issues, um, check it out. I've never really... Uh explored much of in terms of cap storylines and i keep thinking i need to find a jumping on point so maybe it's a it's a maybe it's that's a, for me yeah it's a good run i recommend it it's on comiXology for people out there who have comiXology okay um so i am again in the position where i haven't read many comics lately and uh with the the controversy we've talked about today, I decided to court some controversy of my own by recommending one of the one of the most beloved comics <laughs> of the 2000s um, that pretty much most fans uniformly agree on, uh, and that's Miss Marvel Volumes One. And I think I read maybe the first four or five volumes, uh, written by G. Willow Wilson, the first. Story arc has art by Adrian Alfona, um, and I don't think there's a ton I really need to say about this. You uh, may, maybe this recommendation is for people who are like, I heard all the good things about it, and I just haven't gotten around to it. Maybe if you're contrarian or 
resistant. Um, just you have it on a list somewhere. Just go out and read it. It's uh, a great coming of age story. It's funny. Uh, the art is charming. I feel like the humor, a lot of Marvel comics in particular are very self-aware and quippy to a level where it sometimes gets annoying. Um, but I think like this finds a good balance. It's, it's not going overboard, uh, even though it does have a lot of self-referential stuff because she's a fanfic artist, uh, writer, but it feels a lot more, I don't know, organic in the, with this character and just, uh, has a lot of heart and yeah, it's really good. All right. For, uh, that'll do it for Secret Empire. Um, let's never talk about politics ever again. <laughs> Uh, I th- I thought I thought we were getting into some hot water when we were discussing um, in Wildcats when uh, Dan Quayle gets re- gets replaced with a alien monster, <laughs> but this will be this will be sp- pretty much our tapping out of politics for the foreseeable future. Um, if you like the podcast, subscribe on your podcasting app of choice with uh, write us a review on Apple Podcasts. Um, recommend us to people on your social media feeds or um, postcards send postcards you should you should send post send your mom a postcard tell her to listen to our show you can follow us on twitter and instagram at, at indefensible inc and on facebook email us at indefensible inc at gmail.com hit us up if there's something you think we should be reviewing or if you never want us to talk about politics again which again, we don't plan to in the near future but until next time i have been justin zyduck and i have been hydra ryan mcclure <laughs> good night night everybody